Chapter Seven of Mary Louise in the Country by L. Frank Baum, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Seven: Mary Louise calls for help. All the queer hints dropped by the girl that afternoon concerning the relations between Mr. Jocelyn and Mr. Cragg were confided by Mary Louise to her grandpa Jim that evening, while the old colonel listened with grave interest. "I'm sure there's some mystery here," declared Mary Louise. And maybe we are going to discover some dreadful crime. And on the contrary, returned Colonel Hathaway, the two men may have been interested together in some business venture that resulted disastrously, and led Mr. Jocelyn to run away to escape his wife's reproaches. I consider that a more logical solution of your mystery, my dear. In that case, was her quick reply, why is Mr. Cragg still writing scores of letters and getting bags fulls of replies? I don't believe that business deal, whatever it was, is ended by any means. I think that Ned Jocelyn and Old Swallowtail are still carrying it on, one in hiding and the other here, and to be here is to be in hiding also. And it isn't an honest business, Grandpa Jim, or they wouldn't be so secret about it. The Colonel regarded his young granddaughter with surprise. You seem quite logical in your reasoning, my dear, he confessed. And should your conjectures prove correct, these men are using the mails for illegal purposes. For which crime the law imposes a severe penalty. But consider, Mary Louise, is it our duty to trail criminals and, through our investigations, bring them to punishment? Mary Louise took time to consider this question, as she had been advised to do. When she replied, she had settled the matter firmly in her mind. We are part of the government, Grandpa Jim, she asserted. If we believe the government is being wronged, which means the whole people is being wronged, I think we ought to uphold the law and bring the wrongdoer to justice. Allowing that, said her grandfather, let us next consider what grounds you have for your belief that wrong is being committed. Are they not confined to mere suspicions? Suspicions aroused by the chatter of a wild, ungovernable child? Often the amateur detective gets into trouble through accusing the innocent. Law abiding citizens should not attempt to uncover all the wrongs that exist, or to right them. The United States government employs special officers for such duties. Mary Louise was a bit nettled. Failing to find at the moment any argument to refute this statement. She was still convinced, however, that the mystery was of grave importance, and she believed it would be intensely exciting to try to solve it. Grandpa Jim was not acquainted with Ingua Scammell, and had not listened to the girl's unconscious exposures, so naturally he couldn't feel just as Mary Louise did about this matter. She tried to read, as her grandfather, considering the conversation closed, was now doing. They sat together by the lamplight in the cosy sitting room, but her thoughts constantly reverted to old Swallowtail and to Ingua. At length she laid down her book and said, Grandpa, would you mind if I invited Josie O'Gorman to come here and make me a visit? He gave her a curious look, which soon melted into an amused smile. Not at all, my dear. I like Josie, but I can see by your desire to introduce a female detective on the scene that you cannot abandon your suspicion of Mr. Cragg. I want to save Ingua if I can, replied the girl earnestly. The poor little thing can't go on leading such a life without its ruining all her future, even if her grandfather's brutal threats are mere bluff. And Josie isn't a female detective as yet. She is only training to be one, because her father has won fame in that profession. Josie O'Gorman, said the colonel meditatively, is a wonderfully clever girl. I believe she is better even now than a score of average male sleuths. Perhaps it will be a desirable thing for her to come here, for she will be shrewd enough to decide, in a short time, whether or not your suspicions are justified. In the latter case, you will be relieved of your worries. 
Will you abide by Josie's decision? Will you, Grandpa Jim? I have considerable confidence in the girl's judgment. Then I will write to her at once. She went to her desk and wrote the following note. Dear Josie, We are at the dropping off place of the world, a stagnant little village of a dozen houses set in an oasis that is surrounded by the desert of civilization. And here, where life scarcely throbs, I have sent in a mystery that has powerfully impressed me and surely needs untangling. It will be good practice for you, Josie, and so I want you to pack up at once and come to us on a good long visit. We're delightfully situated, and even if the mystery dissolves into thin air under the sunshine of your eyes, I know you will enjoy the change and our dreamy, happy existence in the wilds of nowhere. Grandpa Jim wants you too, as he thinks your coming will do me good, and his judgment is never at fault. So drop me a postal to say when you will arrive, and I will meet you at Chargrove Station with our car. Affectionately, your friend, Mary Louise Burroughs. Grandpa Jim read this note and approved it, so next morning Mary Louise walked to the village and deposited it in the post office, which was located in the front room of Jim Bennett's little residence and was delightfully primitive. Jim was just making up the mail bag, he said, so her letter was in time to catch the daily train and would be in Washington, where Josie lived, in the quickest possible time. Josie O'Gorman was about the same age as Mary Louise, and she was the only child of John O'Gorman, famed as one of the cleverest detectives in the Secret Service. Josie was supposed to have inherited some of her father's talent, at least her fond parrot imagined so. After carefully training the child almost from babyhood, O'Gorman had tested Josie's ability on just one occasion, when she had amply justified her father's faith in her. This test had thrown the girl into association with Mary Louise and with Colonel Hathaway, both of whom greatly admired her cleverness, her clear head, and shrewd judgment. Mary Louise, especially, had developed a friendship for the embryo girl detective and had longed to know her more intimately. So she congratulated herself on the happy thought of inviting Josie to Cragg's Crossing and was delighted that the vague mystery surrounding the Cragg family offered an adequate excuse to urge the girl to come to her. There seemed nothing in the way of such a visit, for Officer O'Gorman, however pleased he might be at his daughter's success in her first detective case, declared Josie yet too young to enter active service, and insisted that she acquire further age and experience before he would allow her to enter her chosen profession in earnest. One swallow, he said, doesn't make a summer, and the next bird you fly might prove a buzzard, my dear. Take your time, let your wits mature, and you'll be the better for it in the end. So Mary Louise waited impatiently for Josie's reply, meantime seeing as much of Ingua as she could, and trying to cement the growing friendship between them. Ingua responded eagerly to her advances, and as old Mr. Cragg was away from home the greater part of the day, there was much crossing of the stepping stones by both girls, and more than one afternoon tea in the pavilion. Do you know, said Ingua one day in confidential mood, I haven't a devil since that time I started to run away and you stopped me. Perhaps it's because I'm not as hungry as I used to be, but anyhow I'm glad I stayed. Grandad's been good too, though he's got the wakes again. What are the wakes? asked Mary Louise. Can't sleep nights. Goes to bed on time, you know, but gets up again and dresses himself and walks. In the house? No, walks out of doors. Sometimes he'll come in just at daylight, sometimes not till breakfast is ready. And doesn't that make him cross, Ingua? Not a bit. It seems to chirk him up. Yesterday morning, when he came in, he was feeling so chipper he gave me a cent, and told me to buy something useful. I guess that's the first cent he ever gave me. 
I took the money of his'n, but he never gave me none afore. Oh, Ingua, I hope you haven't stolen money. Nope, just took it. It ain't easy, cause he knows every cent he's got, and it ain't often he leaves it where I can get it. Perhaps he knows it's me, but when I lie out of it, he can't do nothing but growl, and growlin' don't hurt any. Mary Louise was greatly distressed. This reckless disregard of property rights was, of course, the direct result of the child's environment, but must be corrected. Ingua resented direct chiding, and it was necessary to point out to her the wickedness of stealing in the gentlest possible manner. How much money have you taken from your grandfather? she asked. Oh, not much. A nickel now and then. He wouldn't stand for losing any more, you see. Perhaps altogether I've swapped twenty-five cents. But once Ned Jocelyn gave me a dollar, and old Swallertail knowed it, and made me give it to him to save for me. That were the last I ever saw of that dollar, Mary Louise, so I ain't even with Grandad yet. Do you think, remarked Mary Louise, there is ever any excuse for stealing? The girl stared at her, coloring slightly. Do you mean Grandad or me? I mean you. He didn't steal your dollar, dear. He merely took it so you wouldn't spend it foolishly. And I merely took them nickels so's I could spend em foolishly. There's no fun in spending money, seems to me, unless you squander it reckless. That's what I done with them nickels. Candy and chewing gum taste better when you know it's swiped. Mary Louise sighed. It was so hard to show little Ingua the error of her ways. As for stealing, out and out stealing, continued the girl with a proud toss of her head, we crags ain't never took nothing that don't belong to us from nobody. What a crag takes from a crag is a crag's business, and when we take something from somebody else, I'll ask you to tell me about it. Where are you going, Ingua? Home. You're not offended, I hope. No, but I got work to do. I ain't done my breakfast dishes yet. Mary Louise musingly watched the girl cross the river. On the opposite bank she turned to wave her hand, and then ran into the cottage. Ingua's code of honor was a peculiar one. Her pride in the crags seemed unaccountable, considering she and her grandfather were the only two of the family in existence, except that wandering mother of hers. But the recent conversation had uncovered a new phase of the mystery. Old Swallowtail was nervous over something. He could not sleep at night, but roamed the roads while others with a clear conscience slumbered. There must be some powerful reason to account for the old man's deserting his bed in this manner. What could it be? When she walked over to the post office, the girl found the long looked for letter from Josie O'Gorman. It said, Dear Mary Louise, How good you are! I positively need a change of scene and rest, so I'm coming. Tomorrow, by the train to Chargove. The mystery you hint at will help me to rest. Dad doesn't want me to grow rusty, and he has some odd theories I'd like to work out. I haven't an idea what your mystery is, of course, but if it enables me to test any one of the O'Gorman theories, a theory is merely a stepping stone to positive information, I shall bless you forever. And that reminds me, I'm coming as a sewing girl to help you fix over some summer gowns. You're anxious to give me the work because I need it, but as we're rather chummy, I'm half servant and half companion. I hate sewing and make the longest stitches you ever saw. Moreover, I'm Josie Jessup. I'm never an O'Gorman when I'm working on a mystery. It wouldn't do at all. Explain this to dear old Grandpa Jim. Between the receipt of this script and tomorrow's train, jot down in regular order everything you know concerning the aforesaid mystery. Make it brief. No speculations or suspicions, just facts. Then I won't waste any time getting busy. Can you hear the rumble of my train? While you're reading this, I'm on my way. Josie. Good, murmured Mary Louise as she folded the letter. I feel better already. Whatever the mystery of old Swallowtail may be, Josie is sure to solve it. 
End of chapter 7. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.